Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Mooresville. You know, the thing I love about good preaching is it, it, it's short and sweet. <laughs> I only have 15 pages of notes today, so just kidding. Um, but Marlon, if you, if you weren't here last week, Marlon preached such a good message. It was a feast. It, you have to go listen to it. I'm not just telling you to listen to it because it was a good message. It was a good message, but there was just this powerful um, grace that was being released on his words last week. And so I really encourage you um, to go partake of that feast. But what happens is, is when there's a good preacher preaching, um, it stirs something up in you. And what you want to do is you want to get up behind them and give like a post note. And, you know, you want to riff off of what they're doing. So that's always a good sign because it, it stirs something up. And at the end of the, uh, the message, Marlon started giving some prophetic words. And I'm always amazed at Marlon's prophetic gift. It was really powerful what was going on in the room. And uh, I think he delivered about a half a dozen specific words to people. And while he was giving these words, uh, what was rising up in me was I was wanting to tell you, people who were getting words, how, what to do with your prophetic word once you get it. Because it's one thing to receive a word, but it's another thing entirely to know what to do with that thing and how to walk it out or how to walk with it. There's a really interesting scripture in Psalm 105 uh, where it's, it's talking about Joseph the dreamer in the Old Testament. And this, there's, a, there's a thing that says that, you know, he, got, he had all these wonderful words that were given to him, these dreams. They were, there was, it was God speaking to him early on in his life, this destiny stuff. And, um, and, and right away, he got excited. He got excited about this encouraging word. And that's what we should get excited when God gives us these things. He deposits these investments inside of us. We should be excited. But sometimes um, what we initially imagine when those words come to us does not happen the way we initially think about it. And so... Um, I, I wanted to share this testimony because I just love the brilliance of God and how he threads all this, these things together. Uh, but two, two months ago, Marlon gave my son-in-law, Andres Balderrama, a word. Um, and, and, and I think it was at a Friday night service we were doing here. And he had Andy stand up and he said, Andres, you are, you are, you're on the verge of promotion. God is about to promote you. And we were so stoked. We were like, oh, this is so great. You know, when your kids get words like that, it, d- it does something to you. And, uh, and, and uh, I, asked, I asked Andres if I could share this, but two months later, he was fired. <laughs> Isn't that the way this works? But so I want to tell you that because... Um, Receiving a word takes a few different things. One thing that it takes is it takes discernment. And, and discernment takes time. You, you won't understand the things of the Lord right away. When you're gonna, if you're going to walk with the Lord for any amount of time, you have to give yourself time. You have to understand that these things take time to work out. And Joseph the dreamer had years between when the, when the word was given and the outcome was given. And lots of times when the word promotion comes or in some type of encouraging word like that, what tends to happen is the exact opposite can happen. And that leaves us confused. It leaves us a little bit like, what's going on? Have I done something to mess with this word? <clears throat> and, um, but the real brilliant piece of the story is that uh, Andy, Andres, was um, trying to figure out what to do with his life after he got fired because he's a young man. He's trying to figure out how to provide for his family. He's got a lot of 
things on the inside of him that he wants to do with his life. You know, the Squires family, we're like artists and poets, but Andy's an engineer. So in our family, he's like a fish out of water, you know? So we don't know what to do with him, but he doesn't know what to do with us. So, but we have grace for each other and we're learning to live in peace with each other. It's really wonderful. Um, but, but so we're processing this, this demotion after the promotion and, uh, and Andy, somewhere along the line, he tells me the story. I remember this story, but he, he brought it back to light. This is the genius of God. Andy, Andres gets fired. He decides he's going to go to school at UTI right here at NASCAR Institute and get his de- degree or whatever they give over there. He's going to learn how to be an auto mechanic, okay? But... Ten years previous, on this lonely Wednesday night in 2013, Andres Balderrama goes to youth group at his church. And guess who is the guest speaker at that that youth group that night? Marlon Magusu. And you know, Marlon didn't know Andy from anybody. He did not know Andres. And he pulled him out of the crowd and he says, you're going to work on cars for the rest of your life. Do you remember that word? I love the Lord. I don't know how, how people live their lives without him, but I just think that's... I mean, when Andres told me that story, I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. I have to tell this story. This is so good. So all that to say, I mean, I have words in my life that were given to me decades ago that I'm still... Becky was using the word contend. I'm still contending for these things. They're still working on me. God sends those words and they work on us. They prove us out. So, man, did y'all notice last week when Joe Sheasley got up here and he gave his announcement about VBS, the first words out of his mouth, because everybody was cheering, he goes up there and goes, I know I look good. I, I, when he said that, I was like, I'm preaching on that next week. <laughs> that's, that's the best thing I've heard all morning. And, it, and it, it's, it's really good. It's like, you know, what Becky was saying about pinching yourself because I'm a child of God. I was like, I was in the shower yesterday morning and I was just like, I was like, oh my God, I'm a child of God. This is, this is incredible. I love the Lord and the Lord loves me. Not only do I love the Lord and not only does the Lord love me, but the Lord likes me. Not only does the Lord like me, he enjoys me. And that's true of y'all. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So my message today is really simple. It's, I've been getting blasted by this, but this is God actually likes me. God actually likes me. And this seems obvious because it's like, of course God loves us, right? But the thing that I've been observing in my own life and in talking to others, most of us, we, we know that God loves us in theory, but we don't really understand the fullness of that actuality, right? So most of us can maybe agree that God loves us, that he's supposed to love us, but we haven't really engaged with that reality. Not only does he love us, but he likes us. So I'm going to start with this opening text. This is Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 5. I'm going to start in the New King James translation. You guys know the scripture. Heavenly places, that's kind of a thing that's known around here. I'm going to talk about heavenly places this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. 
No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this again. I'm going to read it in the New Living. It's my favorite translation right now. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ even before he made the world. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So, so I love the scripture. this scripture. This text will make a Calvinist out of you. I'm not a Calvinist, but man, if there was something that would convince me that God has predestined us to something, it would be this right here, okay? But here's the deal. God didn't love you when you came to faith. He loved you before that. He loved you before he made the world. He loved you before the foundation of the universe. You were a dream in his heart. He's done everything to get to this point today so that he could enjoy you in this moment and that you could wake up to that reality. You know, when we're in here worshiping, I love worshiping God, but my, my whole attitude about worship has shifted over the last 10 or 15 years where I used to feel like worshiping God was like my way of getting to God. And now what I see worship is, is like, it's my ongoing discovery of his goodness. And I'm standing in the astonishment of who he is and who I am to him. It's such a better way to relate with God. You're not, you're not working from a deficit. Your starting point is all the way in him. So even before he made the world, God loved us and chose, to, chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Man, Marlon was just hammering this adoption thing home last week. And just this, like, we're, we are not alienated from God. God has made a way to bring us all the way into himself. This is, this is the, the thing, y'all, that we, we should be waking up ourselves up, pinching ourselves, because this is so good. The reality of this can change a human being's life. Getting a hold of this. You, you know, if you, if you come into an understanding of this, you stop worrying about managing your sin. You stop worrying about getting the garbage out of your life because when you become aware of how much God loves you and who you are to him, your life gets reprogrammed and you stop worrying about all of those heavy weights that you've been dragging around your whole life. This is what God wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Oh man, God can feel pleasure. That's a wonderful thing to know. So speaking of heavenly places, frankly, I will have to say there is a time when I had no idea what heavenly places was or is, or, or, you know, have you, have you ever heard a preacher talk for 20 years and use a phrase and you've heard it so often, but you still don't know what it means. And then finally one day you woke up and you, you just realized it. It takes us time, doesn't it? So when I was a kid, heavenly places, just, it makes my mind go to like heaven, right? I don't know about you, but when I read that phrase, heavenly places, I just go straight to like heaven. And when I was a kid, I watched Looney Tune cartoons. And the only images that I ever heard, saw from about heaven was somebody died and they went and sat on a cloud and they played a harp. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. So when I was a kid, there's nothing that scared me more than going to heaven. I have this one vivid memory. I was in seventh grade. I was lying in my bed. I was in the top bunk. Dan was in the bottom bunk. And I, I, like the fear of dying and going to heaven just was like wreaking havoc on my mind. And I jumped out of bed and I ran to my parents' bedroom and I just started sobbing in their bed. I don't want to go to heaven. You, you know why I didn't want to go to heaven? First of all, I couldn't imagine what it was. Secondly, I was so afraid that my, I wouldn't be able to find my parents. I just was like afraid of being lost. I mean, you know, so, so how you think about things really matters. There are, there are thought patterns and there are things that you imagine that obscure the reality of, of life. 
And the reason why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives is because he's taking us from one understanding to the next understanding. And the reason why you need grace in your life is because the distance from one understanding to the next understanding sometimes lasts a little while. You know, when you're dealing with human beings and you, you, you sometimes think, what the H-E double hockey sticks is the matter with you? What you're witnessing is one person going from one glory to the next. And it takes a little time. And so you just need to sprinkle some grace on top of that situation. This person is in process. And God's plan for their life is maybe not on your schedule, but it's on his schedule. And that schedule is sufficient. This is why we can go to church and walk with people that we don't necessarily agree with on everything. So this, this thing that was going on in my, my mind, my childish imagination regarding this place of heaven has always influenced my reading of Paul's explanation of heavenly places. And because that, that, that initial thing that I imagined, it was obscuring what Paul was saying. I want you to hear that because you should know that when you go to the Bible, you bring your own set of biases. This is why we come to church and we listen to the preacher preach because we need adjustments in our minds. We need adjust. This is why we walk in community. This is why we don't do Christianity alone because we cannot discern what God is doing and what God is saying by ourselves. We have to do it together. So I have been missing what Paul has been saying all along, but I'm getting better. I'm I'm on my way to a better revelation, okay? So I want to establish a few things here that Paul is meaning in this text. The phrase heavenly places must have some significance because in the whole book of Ephesians, he says it five times. And the Greek text of heavenly places, the Greek has an adjective, heavenly, but it doesn't have the noun, places, Okay, you with me so far? So, so the original script does not include places. Places is part of the translator's attempt to help us understand something that is impossible to translate literally. All right, the literal standard translation says Ephesians 1.3 like this. Blessed the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly, in Christ. In the heavenly, in Christ. The full idea of heavenly places may be difficult to translate, but we don't have to be confused about what it is. Paul insists that heavenly places are real, they're significant, and for the life of the believer, they are a non-optional reality. This is not poetic language that Paul is using. He's actually inviting us into a very potent, powerful reality. This is so interesting about the Christian life. I I, I was looking in the room around. Have you ever just been absolutely bored in worship before? I was just looking in the room. Who's bored in here today? I was was judging y'all. Okay, that person's bored They're not as bored as that person, but they might be more bored than me. I was doing pretty good this morning. I wasn't bored. I was feeling the Lord this morning. You you know, I, I, I love this. Sometimes you can feel the Lord. Sometimes you don't feel the Lord. It's, it's all God, but man, I live for those times when I can really feel the Lord. And I really, I really am like, um, I'm trying to have grace for everything, but I really want to pursue a life where I have an ongoing, active, actual engagement with the Lord himself in a way that I can feel. It's really important. 
This is why an intellectual understanding of the Bible and who God is, is insufficient. This is insufficient. We have to have experiences with the Lord. So let's start here. I want to say this to you. Heaven and heavenly places are not the same thing. Heaven is one thing. Heavenly places are another thing. When Paul is revealing this reality in Ephesians 1, he's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about us dying and going and sitting on a cloud with a harp, thank God. Right? Heaven is a real place. It's as real as the coffee you drank this morning. Jesus said this in the gospel. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, this is crazy. This thing I'm going to tell you right now, this is crazy. But there are are movements within the body of Christ that are uh, attempting to get believers to understand the importance of our everyday lives, which is a good thing. But in doing so, they're diminishing the value of the eternal hope of heaven. And that is a massive mistake. If you remove the eternal hope of heaven, man, there's a whole lot of people in the world that are just, it's just going to be despair. I mean, listen, we live in America. We're in an air-conditioned room right now. We have internet. We have cars. Man, if you have air conditioning in your car or at your house, you have literally won the lottery of human existence. If you ever wake up sad about your life, but you have air conditioning on in the house, you have something to thank God for. The average human lifespan in the last 50 to 100 years has expanded so massively that we have actually lost, um, we have... We have lost a revelation on how quick life is. We have lost the revelation of what a mist and a vapor that life actually is. We need to be reminded of that, y'all. Because even if you live to be 90 years old, 100 years old, which I'm buying for, I'm going for 100, maybe 120. But even if, if you get that, it's still very quick, isn't it? I mean... I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how people or why they would want to like negotiate away the hope of heaven. But what I read in the gospel is that Jesus is gone to prepare a place for, for us. And if it was not so, he would not have told us. To deny the reality of heaven is to deny one of the greatest hopes of our faith. But the heavenly places that Paul is writing about here is not something that God made, but it's something that God is. It's not a place that God, it's not a city that God built, it's something that God is. So where you are located is not in a place out there, but it's in the person of Christ. Heaven, the place is your future, but heavenly places, all the goodness that God is, is your here and now. Isn't that amazing? You get the goodness of your future and you get the goodness of your present. It's a wonderful life. You know, grabbing a hold of this is so good because um, your life doesn't have to be perfect anymore. You don't have to be aiming at having a perfect life. You can have a good life. You should make good choices. You should get a job. You should get a better job if you need a better job. You should go get married to somebody who's decent. Like you should do all the kinds of good things that, that go into making a good life. But the project of having a perfect life is vanity. You will never be able to manage out of your life all the humanity that you bring into it. There's not enough therapy that you can go to to solve your own humanity. Actually, there's not enough healing services and worship services that you can go to to negotiate away your humanity. Actually, really enjoys who you are. The limitations that you bring to the table is not a design flaw. It's actually a design, what's the other thing? Design feature. (laughs) 
I know so many people who get up in the morning not like Joe Sheasley, who says, I know I look good. <laughs> so many people get up in the morning and they're just so disappointed with who they are and what they're bringing to the table and not having their life together yet and not being spiritual enough and not having a close enough relationship with God and not having all the sin out of their life and not having a powerful ministry or a a big Instagram following or, uh, I mean, all of the stupid things that human beings tell themselves that they need in order to be all the way in God. And Paul is saying right here, your starting place is heavenly places. You are already fully located, not in a place, but in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. That is the joyful Christian life, y'all, because when you're there, when you're aware of knowing that that's where you are, it doesn't matter what comes your way. You, you turn around like Paul and you're like, I can do it all. I can do it all. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Now, I love my Pentecostal charismatic people. I love to pray for the sick. I want us to pray for the sick. I want to believe for miracles. I want all of the good things that we have access to by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I promise you that you will encounter times in your life where those things will not be available to you and you will still be fully located in heavenly places. Whether the miracle happens to you or not is zero indicator of whether God is moving in your life or not. You are all the way in now. Here's what the Christian life is. Three things. It's about discovery, it's about astonishment, and it's about assurance. Your life of following Jesus is not about you getting your act together so that he can be pleased with you. Your life is one of discovery where you're waking up every day and you're getting to see the goodness of God in operation in your life. And you say to yourself, my life's not good. If you have breath in your lungs, your life is good. You're alive, you're not dead. You got something going for you. And the pressure's off because you don't have to get your act together. You don't have to become a better person. There's not a better version of you out there somewhere that God is waiting for you to discover. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't become a better person. God will definitely sanctify your rear end. (laughs) He will sanctify you. But that takes time too. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is not without its you know, you will be threshed. You will go to the threshing floor and you will be threshed. But even in the discipline of the Lord, there's so much joy to be had. While the spirit is working his way in our lives. Man, my wife tells me I only have one message that I, I, I only preach one message, but I figured this out. All preachers only have one message. They're just preaching different riffs on this one message that God gave them. This is, a, this is so good. This is such a relief because you don't have to come up with something new every week. You just riff off of the thing, the only thing that God gave you, you know? But I feel like the thing that God has invested in me over my lifetime has been just this message of weakness, embracing weakness. Like, it's the best news. Like, because, um, and, and, and you know, that's a growing revelation, figuring out these things that the Lord says to you. It's like what I started with. It's like the revelations that God gives you when you're young, they mean one thing to you, but those those understandings become more robust the older you get. And, and I, I just am so grateful that, um, what's that scripture? It's in second Corinthians. I think it's in 12 that, you know, Paul says, I went to the Lord and I begged him three times to take, to take all these design flaws out of my life so that I could be a superhero Christian. And, and God's like, what are you talking about? 
Those aren't design flaws. Those are design features. I, I'm establishing you in your limited body in all of this weakness to prove the strength of my love. You can't know the strength of love if you already have everything in your life. If all you've known in your life is abundance and fruitfulness and just, it's like you win every hand when you play poker. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about if, how, how quickly you would hate to play poker if you went to the table and you won every single hand? How boring would that get? I mean, after, after like 12 hours of it and you've won a couple million dollars, you're like, this is great. But the whole reason why poker is fun is because there's a chance of losing. That's why I go fishing. I love to go out on the river. I love to read the water. I love to figure out where the fish are and where they're not. And every day that I go out and don't catch something, I bless God because it makes the day that I do catch something that much better. The design flaw is really the feature. The design flaw gives me an exponential amount of joy when I light into a four pound largemouth. There's nothing better than catching a four pound largemouth bass after you've had two days of getting skunked. Am I right? I'm right. So sometimes your life is like you're getting skunked every time you go fishing. And you're in, Lord, what, what am I supposed to do with this? And God's like, those days are just as good as the days that you don't catch in, that you catch the biggest fish of your life. So you say, okay, Andy, that's nice. You say that heavenly places is not something God made, but it's something that God is. And you say that God is good. But just how good is he? How good is God? Man. You know, I preached this message a month ago in Dayton, Ohio. And I'm so thankful for y'all this morning. I mean, you guys are like, you're all on it. Like, I love, it's like, people ask me if I'm nervous about preaching. I'm like, I'm, pre- I'm nervous about preaching everywhere else but at River Life. Because at River Life, there's just this river that's running straight through it. And everybody can get in and, and the Lord just like opens up everything. And it's just like, it's the, I don't know how people live without it, to be honest. But we're finding out that we are living lives of discovery. And the starting point of this journey of discovery is God's goodness. Even before he made the world, he loved you. Even before he made the world, he chose you. In advance, he decided to make you a part of his family. And if the book of Ephesians is anything, it is an invitation into astonishment. I, I, need, I need astonishment in my life. Amy and I and Natalie and Andres and Elliot and Henry and, and my little baby granddaughter, Romy, we went hiking yesterday on on um, Roan Mountain in eastern Tennessee. And man, we found this overlook. It just, it was astonishing. It just made me so glad to be alive. It's just like the wonder of God's creation was penetrating our boring minds. And, and it, it's wonderful to go out into nature and experience that, but we can do that anywhere with the Lord. We can go to those places with the Lord in our daily lives. And Paul is showing us these incredible realities that are so good and so wonderful that we will spend the rest of our lives discovering how high, how wide, and how deep the Father's love is for us. Ephesians is the proclamation that Christianity is at its very, very worst just a set of facts and cold ethics. 
But at its very best, it is your life marked by discovery, astonishment, and assurance. Your life with Jesus is not about keeping rules. It's not a life of keeping up appearances. It's not even a life of keeping up your good doctrine. I'm I'm telling you, I love doctrine. I love good doctrine. But if, if following Jesus is just making sure you've got all your T's crossed and your I's dotted so that you can somehow be right enough to get into heaven, I mean, what a waste of your life. I know people like this. Their main objection in the Christian life is to get people to believe absolutely 100% correctly. And that too is a futile project. There is nobody anywhere who has perfect doctrine. There are those who claim that they do. But, But that project is a fool's errand. And Christianity is not a lifeless routine of going to church your whole life with no interactions with your Savior. Christianity is a life of finding things out. This is what we're doing, y'all. We're finding things out. So I know a lot of you don't know me or you don't know what I do and who I am, but I have this secret life that I do where I play music and I write books. And, and a lot of the music that I write is tragically sad. It's terribly sad. Nobody invites me to parties to play these songs, right? Um, and, and so I go, I travel all over the United States and I play these songs and everybody cries. It's very therapeutic. It's very cathartic. It's really, it's a good time if you're in the right headspace. But... We talk to so many people afterwards, and oftentimes we hear this, Andy, you're not depressed. You're, you're not sad at all. How do, you, how do you write all these songs? I mean, I just like sad songs, but, like, <laughs> but in my heart, in my inner person, in, in the core of who I am, even though I have lived through a dozen tragic situations in my life, I am seated in heavenly places. And even when I have massive questions where there's no answers to be had anywhere, I remain seated in heavenly places. And actually, it's my being seated in Christ in heavenly places that allows me to explore the far reaches of sadness and sorrow for people. You can be so filled with the joy of the Lord, but the call for you isn't to walk around with a fake smile on your your face all the time. What God does for us when he deposits that heavenly place inside of us is he gives us permission to live out our full humanity. He's not actually calling you to just live a spiritual life. He's inviting you into the fullness of your humanity. (laughs) there you go there you go Mm, that's good that's good that's good well to that point I'm glad you brought that up one time I, I probably told this story maybe I haven't told this here before but one time I was walking around just, oh God, I just want to see your glory. I just want to see your glory. I mean, I've had a few experiences of God's glory in like corporate worship or in a dream that have absolutely marked my life, changed my life. But, but I was walking around, Lord, just show me your glory. And the Lord said this thing to me. He said, you want to see my glory? I said, I do, Lord. He said, go to the dollar general and start walking down the aisles. And every person that you meet Look into their eyes and you'll see my glory. Because back to Ephesians 1, where uh, we're reading that scripture where it says, 
something about God loved us before the world was made. He chose us to be in him before the foundation of the world was made. You actually can't keep that to yourself. You can't be assured of that scripture only for you and your family. You have to go over to the Dollar General and look at those people and think in your mind, oh, God loved you before the world was made. God chose you before the world was made. God made a way to bring you into his family. Oh my goodness, it's noon. Okay. Oh shoot, I'm so sorry, you guys. All right, y'all okay? All right, okay. Okay, so Christianity is a life of experiencing God. So I think that Christians in Paul's day were just like Christians in this time. Instead of of being people of astonishment and assurance, they were like so many of us, living under the yokes of indifference and anxiety. Indifference and anxiety. I have been there so many times where I walked into the church to worship, and there was a spirit of indifference on me. I could care less. And I could only care less because I wasn't astonished. And when you're not astonished, your only move at that point is to complain about the songs. <laughs> if you walk into church astonished about who you are in God, every song is amazing. You know, what's going on in the worship service has as much to do with you as it does the worship leader. So, but Paul prayed this prayer that is as powerful now and it's as effective now as it ever was. I know y'all know this, but I'm going to read it anyways. I pray for you constantly asking God, the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom. I'm praying for you that you will wake up and you will become aware and that you will have insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Not, not information, experience. (laughs) I pray that your hearts will be flooded with astonishment and assurance that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Hey man, you might be in here and you might not think that you're holy, but you absolutely are because God says you are. And I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Man, belief, belief. Listen, we we live in the information age. We live in the age of doubt. Do you know what the only punk rock move left that there is, is to believe? Like, like it's, it's, it's like the world is, is, is swimming with doubt, the only move left is for us to believe. And the truth is we were hardwired to do that. We were hardwired to believe God. So the the question is, why does any of this matter? I've spent 35 minutes talking about this. Why does any of this matter at all? It matters because Paul is trying to provoke us into being who we are. This prayer, this, this, this letter, God is, or Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus and he's like, listen, it's time for you to be who you are. Be who you already are. Be who I made you to be. So who are we? Well, the very opening of the book proclaims that the father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us. So if the question is, who are we? Well, at the very least, we are blessed. At the very least. (laughs) And this is a really big deal. It's a big deal because God has blessed us. You could miss this. You really could. You could just pass over this and you could think that this was just some dry, old, dusty prayer, but it's not. This is the reality. You are blessed. We are blessed. 
our heavenly father has already blessed us. What does he bless me with? Money? Oh, yes. Sign me up. Sign me up. Has he blessed us with fame? Yes, Lord. Amen. Has he blessed us with our lives making perfect sense all of the time? Sign me up, baby. That's the life I want. I want my life to make perfect sense. Mm -mm. No, God hasn't blessed us with money. He hasn't blessed us with renown. He hasn't blessed us with lives that make perfect sense where everything fits neatly. No, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And this is literally the best news that a human being could ever get. This past week, a guy won a billion dollars on the lottery, the Powerball. Do you think that guy went from a, like, like maybe being indifferent to maybe having some excitement going on in his life? Like the, the trajectory from making $8.25 an hour to having a billion dollars? What do you think that might look like? Like that'd be a pretty interesting, you know. And the Christian life, the thing that we are already a part of is better than winning a billion dollars. This is seated in Christ and he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in who God is, in who Christ is. Paul is proclaiming the blessed reality of your situation even before He made the world, God loved us, and he chose us. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. And now we are united with Christ. Now we are united with Christ. United, union, common union, communion. We have togetherness with the Lord himself, even now. Even where we're sitting and standing right now, we have the blessed communion with him. It's better than money. It's better than fame. I can't think of a worse life than having all the money and all the fame. I watch, I watch the Kardashians, keeping up with the Kardashians. Y'all watch that show? Yeah, I've tried to keep up as much as I can. But the, it, it's, it's, it's like despair on display. It's despair on display. Because they have more money than they know what to do with. They have every thing that a human being could possibly desire. And they are utterly miserable. This is the genius of the gospel. The genius of the gospel is that the least of us, meaning all of us in here, can have the best life without having all of the money, all of the fame, all of our lives making perfect sense. We have access to the best life now. We're made for discovery, astonishment, assurance. We are not made for indifference and anxiety. Now, I'm going to close with this. First four chapters of Ephesians are this, is this massive spiritual life treatise. Like he's going visions, revelations, experiences with the Holy Spirit, all kinds of like amazing things. And then by chapter five, he takes this really, really hard turn into a list of practical applications like husbands submit to your wives <laughs> if you don't think that's in the bible you're wrong <laughs> but just just i love it though because he's not he, paul is not 
leaving us hanging out here in the abstract. He's connecting it back into the concrete realities of our lives. And he's, he's telling folks, listen, husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. There's this kind of strange list of things. But he's, he's, he's telling us how to be. He's telling us how to live. He's telling us things that are really important for our daily lives. And it's really interesting that in this list of very, very practical things, he, there's one thing that he says that when you think of the context is absolutely fascinating. And you know the scripture well. He says this in Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. He says this, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. This is crazy. Because wine, being drunk on wine, that will ruin your life. Now, this is the punchline, though. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's, that's fascinating. The most practical thing that you can do with your life is to be having this ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I'm actually connecting everything that I'm saying this morning back to what Marlon was saying. You have to go back and I've never seen this, but he connects the helper in Genesis with the helper of the Holy Spirit in the gospel. And, and, and he was talking about just the, how that the spirit, um, the reason why the spirit is important to have that ongoing interaction with the Holy Spirit is because in the world, there is this sense of alienation that is running rampant. There's, there's a lack of a feeling of belonging. I can't tell you how many people I run into in my travels who say these words, I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I fit anywhere. I don't feel like I'm acceptable or I'm accepted anywhere. Have you ever had these feelings? I have. You, a sense of rejection, like you have, a, you have some type of interaction with somebody in a relationship and you feel a sense of rejection. And that thing will work its way into you and it will cause a sleep to come over you. Because the way human beings deal with disappointment and rejection is that they inebriate themselves in one way or another. It's the only way we can cope but Jesus right here is telling us that the way for you to know that you're not rejected, that you're not alienated away from God in people is to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit because that is what makes you aware that you are located in heavenly places. In the goodness of God now, not the goodness of God later, but right now. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.